Hi, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, with the goal of engaging the city and impacting the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today's message is from our family ministries pastor, Jim Loki. If you want to know more about Calvary Baptist Church and its ministries, head over to www.cbcnyc.org. I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can be here today uh, to worship you and and to hear from you. We pray that uh, your spirit would move in this place, that you would speak to each one. I pray that you would, um, Lord, just show us how we can follow you more closely. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We've been in a series uh, this summer in uh, the book of Psalms, and our pastoral team has been preaching some of our favorite Psalms, and I, I have enjoyed this so much. I, I don't know about you, but Pastor Abraham has preached several Psalms uh, in this, this series, and Pastor Tim preached on Psalm 96 last week, and uh, today I'd like us to look at Psalm 1. This is my favorite, my personal favorite. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." I want you to think back to the very first job you ever had. For me, during my senior year of high school, I got hired on as a dishwasher at the Western Inn in Tishomingo, Oklahoma. I Google imaged a uh, photo of it, and this is it right here. This motel uh, had a restaurant in it that had an all-you-can-eat catfish buffet. And then um, as you went through the night, they would transition over to breakfast. And I was the overnight dishwasher, so I worked from 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. Yeah. Um, So I was there a couple hours, and the dishes were coming back like stacks and stacks of them, just piled up. Gravy was everywhere. It, It was a mess. Also, there were there were like cigarettes in the mashed potatoes. This is back when you could smoke in restaurants, smoke cigarettes, like in the smoking section. So there would be like mashed potatoes with all these like cigarettes and then they were bringing them back and just like this never ending parade of plates coming back. And I'm hustling you, I'm doing my best. I'm a bit of a germaphobe. I've been that way my whole life. This was back before you wore the gloves too. This was just like your hands. So I I grabbed a clean knife, and I'm like over by the trash, and I'm like scraping it off, you know, trying to 
to get it. And a couple hours in, the manager comes back and he's like, yo, he's like, no, no, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Do it like this. Do it like this. And he grabs his plate. As long as I still remember to this day, I can see it in my mind. And he takes his hand and he just puts it in his gravy and just wipes it off like this, Jim, like this. And he grabs another plate like this. And he's just got like green beans, you know. And I'm sitting there, I'm 17 years old, and I'm just like, you know, just blinking, just. It was in that moment that I knew that a career in dishwashing was not for me. And I'm not knocking it if it's your job. Like if you're a dishwasher, you would have quit this job. I'm telling you, you would have quit too. Well, I went home and, uh, yeah, I was done. My parents made me go ahead and work the next night, so I did that. I worked Friday night and Saturday night. Monday after school, I called the manager and let him know I was done. Uh, at the age of 17, I was retiring from the overnight dishwashing industry. It was over. Now, I had to make a choice. I could have kept doing it or stepped away. There, there were two paths there for me. Now, all of us, we have to make choices in life between paths every day. Sometimes it's something small and simple, and sometimes it's large, and there are huge implications. Well, we see that same thing here in Psalm 1. There are two paths clearly laid out. We see the idea of two paths throughout Scripture. We see it from Jesus throughout the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. Um, in the last section of Jesus' sermon, he lists this series of contrasts where choices must be made. You know, he says there's two gates and two roads. There's two trees and there are two types of fruit. And then as Titus read for us earlier in the scripture reading, there's two houses and there are two foundations. And Jesus said regarding two ways in Matthew 7, 13 to 14, he said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And Psalm 1 is a clear and full expression of this same idea. Now, it's important to highlight that these two paths in Psalm 1 are not characterized by their terrain or geography, nothing like that, but it's by the character of the people who walk them. Down one path walks the wicked, the sinners, scoffers and mockers of God. Their eventual destination is judgment and destruction. And down the other path walks the righteous who follow the Lord. They're blessed because their journey is under the hand and the blessing of the Lord. So the two paths here in Psalm 1 are the way of the righteous, or the blessed, and the way of the wicked. And in our time together today, I'd like us to work through Psalm 1, to walk through this uh, Psalm 1 together, to see these two paths laid out before us, and to see what God has to say about each of them. And together, we can learn how to live this blessed life that's talked about here. So first, number one, the blessed life avoids being influenced by sin. The first word of Psalm 1, and therefore the first word of the entire book of Psalms, is the word 
blessed. And that's significant and it's intentional. And it's a way of saying that the book of Psalms as well as all of Scripture honestly have been given to us by God for our good. The word blessed here means supremely happy or fulfilled. In fact, in the Hebrew, the, the original language in which this was written, the word, it's actually a plural, which means it's either this multiplication of blessings or an intensification of them, intensifying of them. So this verse could be translated to say, Oh, the many blessings of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, in order to say what the way of the godly man is, Psalm 1 begins by saying what that way is not. And one of the most striking features of Psalm 1 is this parallelism. It's a way to say a similar thing in two linked lines. That's what we have here. Only in this verse, in Psalm 1-1, there are three linked lines, and there are three parallel terms in each line. You can see it there on the screen. You see the breakout. Set 1 has walk, stand, and sit. Set 2 has in the council, in the way, and in the seat. And set 3 has of the wicked, of sinners, and scoffers. Now, I want you to notice the progression in the downward spiral in each of these three negative descriptions. The psalmist describes someone who goes from walking to standing to sitting. See that progression there? He links the actions, he links those actions to the counsel, the way, and the seat to point to the influence that others have for us, those that don't honor the Lord. And lastly, he links these words to the wicked, sinners, and scoffers, those who mock God. Now, I've broken this down here for us, and I want you to see this. The words walk, sand, and sit point to the habits and the patterns of our lives, our daily lives. The words in the council, in the way, and in the seat point to the influence that others have on you and me. And finally, the words of the wicked, of sinners, and scoffers point to the company that you and I keep. Now, one thing we see looking at this reality is that people around us have a significant influence on our daily lives. People trapped in sin and those who don't know Jesus will live that way. I love what Dr. Henry Blackaby says about this. I'm paraphrasing here. But he says something to the effect of, don't be surprised or don't be angry when lost people live like lost people. They're just doing according to their nature. Those of us that are embracing sin, those that are embracing sin have different values than those of us who know and follow Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be clear, the people of God should not seek to cut off or avoid those who don't know Christ, or those that even reject him. I mean, in fact, as followers of Jesus, we're here to share the hope and love with Jesus, those that don't know him and those who reject him. Jesus gave us the great commission, after all, to go and tell. I love Pastor Abraham. He says that all the time. Go tell at Calvary. That's, that's why we're here. We're to love our neighbors, all of our neighbors. So this verse isn't talking about that. This verse is saying if we're not careful and if we begin to compromise our beliefs, our lives can begin to look similar to the lost world 
around us. Our character can drift to no longer be glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what John Randalls, a former youth ministry, collegiate ministry speaker, would say. He, he would say this, when you walk in a room, do you change the room or does the room change you? If we're not careful, the room of our classmates, our co-workers, our neighbors, our family, all those people can change us. Or we can shine the light and lift up those around us in Jesus' name. So how do we do that? What, what does that look like? Well, it's not by just gritting your teeth and trying harder in your own strength. That may work for a little bit, but it's not going to last. It also fails because even if you're someone who's good at that, avoiding bad things and trying harder on your own, that's not going to make you more like Jesus. You know what, Will? Spending time with Jesus. I received Christ and got saved when I was nine years old. Uh, and now, once I got into high school, my uh, junior and senior years of high school and into early college, I struggled in my, my faith, and I didn't walk with Christ. My sophomore year of college, I repented and rededicated my life to Christ. It just, my life has not been the same since that moment, and I've never gotten over it. And some of the sinful habits that I had developed stopped immediately in that moment. And it's weird because some didn't. And uh, one that I had a tough time of letting go of was cursing, I'm, I'm ashamed to say. My speech life was awful, uh, sinful is, is what it was. And it's like I tried to stop, but I couldn't. I would try and try and kind of beat myself up over it, and it's, it's like I couldn't. And after some time, God, so good, he sent uh, a friend into my life, and he told me this. He said, stop focusing on not cursing. And I was like, what? And he said, it doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. He goes, don't think about a green ball. Don't think about a green ball. Don't think about a green ball. And he said, what are you thinking about? I was like, a green ball. He said, yeah. And then he said this, focus on Jesus and becoming more like Jesus, and you'll become someone who no longer curses, in fact, who even no longer has an appetite to do that. The Lord grows you and turns you into that kind of person. And you know what? Jesus did that for me, and he can do that for you too. Scripture speaks to this over and over of our need for people in our lives uh, to help us walk with him. Here's a verse I want you to know. In fact, I want you to memorize this. You got homework. This is, uh, I want you to learn this verse. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. One true mark of a Christian friend is they will help you become more like Jesus. They don't just tell you what you want to hear, but they want what Jesus wants for you. Maybe they don't always give you the advice or counsel you like, but they're going to tell you what you need to hear 
so you can be like Jesus. This is what a true Christian friend will do. So listen, don't just take advice from anybody. Make sure the people speaking into your life say things that align with God's word. They can be very loving people, fun people, people that love you with all their hearts. I have friends like this in my life. But if the advice and influence you're getting from them does not match up with God's word, you need to find another person for that counsel and that influence. It matters. We become like those with whom we spend time. Second, the blessed life embraces God's word. So in verse 2, the psalmist goes from describing what the blessed person does not do to describing what he does. And here he's described as one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his word day and night. It's a powerful expression to delight in. We should delight in God's word, in the Lord's instruction. The word delight is the word hepzibah in Hebrew, which Penny uh, serves at the Hepzibah house here in Manhattan. Some of you are familiar um, with the Hepzibah house. Now, in the Hebrew, the original language in which this was written, the word Hepzibah, it, it means to, to delight, to take joy in. Uh, along with this idea of that thing in which you're delighting, it, it carries weight. It, it matters. We should take pleasure and find joy in the word of God. God's people ought to be people of the word. Do you and I delight in God's word? The person who delights in God's word meditates on it day and night. That's what this verse says. Now, to meditate means to think carefully and continually on something. The word meditate here means to murmur or mutter. It, it's that thing when we're talking to ourselves under our breath, we're sort of saying the words um, over and over, repeating it. It plays over again and again in our minds. This is actually happening to me right now against my will in another area of my life. There's a series of commercials that plays on TV, and it just gets stuck in my head, and I can't, can't stop it. Now, I want to see if you know this. So complete the jingle. Don't let me down, Calvary. Here we go. <laughs> liberty, 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 liberty. Yeah, liberty, right? Yeah. So... That, when I hear that, it's like it's over. It's just in my head, and it doesn't stop. I'm, I'm like riding the E-train in from Queens into Manhattan. It's like, liberty, liberty, liberty. I'm making a sandwich at night. Liberty, like, it just won't go away. We don't, we don't even use Liberty Mutual Insurance, my family. I, I'm sure they're great, uh, but their ads haven't convinced me to switch. But, man, I love that dopey jingle. It's just in my head. Now, that's what the psalmist means here when he's talking about meditating on God's word, playing it over and over and over. We ponder on God's word day and night. So it's not like I can have a quiet time, time with God in the morning, and then I check that box, and then I neglect God's word the rest of the day. It's not like that. It's like a program running constantly in the background on a computer. The Word of God releases its flavor as we chew on it over time. We don't rush through it either. We don't read the Bible to finish. We read the Bible to change. It is not like a magazine. Meditate on God's Word. Third, the blessed life grows in Christ 
in all seasons of life. Verse 3 says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Now, when most people read or hear the word prosper, they think in terms of wealth, of financial gain. But what the psalmist says here is quite different. He's talking about blessedness, the blessedness of the man or the woman who does not stand in the way of sinners, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. His point here is that this prospering, it's not a financial ward or any, a gain like that. It's, it's rather, it's a life that's blessed and you're prospering because your character is becoming more and more like God as we walk with him. So the psalmist, he uses some images to show the results of those who walk with God on this path and those who don't. And the first is that of a fruitful tree. It describes a man who delights in the word of God and gets his spiritual nourishment from the Bible, like a tree draws nourishment from a flowing stream. Now, I, I am not a Hebrew scholar by any means. I, I struggle enough with English, okay? I'm, I'm doing well to do that. But these words here in the original Hebrew are so rich and helps us understand this psalm. So I want us to look at a few of these here. Let's look again at verse 3. The word for streams here can be translated as canals or a channel dug out for irrigation. And the word planted in its root Hebrew form means transplanted. So the sense of the verb planted suggests that the location of that tree is intentional. That tree has either been planted there as a seedling or has been dug up, uprooted, and moved, and then planted again right next to that stream. So it can always have nourishment, even in a season with high heat and no rain. Dry times, hard times, there's access to nourishment. The land around the tree might be quite dry and barren, and the winds might be hot. But if the tree is planted by the stream so it can seek its roots Deep to draw down nourishment, it will prosper and it will yield fruit. And it's describing the godly man or the godly woman. So the one who studies and meditates on God's instruction is the tree transplanted near water. The righteous person is not just like a tree, but you're like a tree that's been tran transplanted next to a stream. And to follow the message of this psalm, it's not enough to just be like a tree. We must be like a tree that's drawing its nourishment from the stream, which pictured here is the word of God. Verse 3 says that the tree yields its fruit in its season. As you delight and meditate on God's word, you will produce fruit in every season of life. The man or woman of God can produce thanksgiving in seasons of plenty, faith in seasons of doubt, Patience in a season of suffering, humility when placed in leadership, and forgiveness and mercy when wronged by someone else, and prayer in all seasons. That's what the man and woman of God does. 
Verse 3 also says its leaf does not wither. So in the middle of summer, when the grass might be brown, as the sun beats down on the land and dries it up, God's person, their roots go down deep below the surface to drink up the waters of that stream of the Lord, his or her gardener. And when an unbelieving world sees a man or woman put out leaves while he or she is torched by the hot winds of life, there can only be one explanation, and it's the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, these verses echo this same idea. You'll see it on the screen. It says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. It's beautiful. Now, in verse 4 of Psalm 1, the psalmist transitions to speaking about the wicked. Fourth, he says there that... Um, that the wicked life ends in destruction. So the first illustration of the tree, first illustration of the tree planted by streams of water was pointing to the blessed life. The second one here, he compares them to chaff. So the picture here is a threshing floor at the time of the grain harvest. Now many of the threshing floors of Palestine are on hills that would catch these great breezes. Now I have a quick video where I want to show you what this looks like. The grain was brought into the barns, and then it's crushed by animals or with threshing instruments that are drawn over it. And then it's pitched high into the air with a tool where the wind blows the chaff away. You see the chaff blowing away there. There's a sweet puppy. I couldn't help this part. I, I just love it. It's got chaff all over him. But you see the heavier grain falling to the threshing ground there. You see the chaff blowing away. The chaff is scattered and burned. It's discarded. And that's what the psalmist is saying here about those who live wickedly. This picture is the futile life and lack of hope for those who reject God. And it's also a picture of the judgment to come. As I was preparing for this, I just couldn't help but think if only those who are running away from God could see this and understand this. Verse 5 says that while the end of the wicked may not be visible in this life, it's still coming. Since they are like chaff, they will not survive the day of judgment. They will collapse. They will not stand on judgment day. They also will be driven away because they do not belong with God's people. Verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. They will not be found among the people of God at the end. And fifth, the wicked, the wicked life will perish. Now verse 6 is a fitting way to end this psalm. It distinguishes between the final end of the righteous and the final end of the wicked. And this verse describes the destiny of these two groups of people. It made me think of what King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 14.12. He said, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And that's the way of the wicked. But the way of the righteous is the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who describes himself as the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. Now to wrap up, um, the writer of this psalm did not say, okay, you see the two paths here and the two ends of these paths. What are you going to do? Which, which path are you on? I think the implication is certainly there. As we read this, um, we can tell we must make a choice. We must evaluate our lives and respond to this passage. So he didn't ask you that, but I'm going to. What is your response to Psalm 1? What is the next step that you need to take? As we've been going through this passage today, what are those things that have come to mind? What has God been saying to you? For some of us here today, maybe you need to take the step to make peace with God, to make things right with Him. The Bible makes it clear there's only one way to do that to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To call upon the name of the Lord. Coming to church is great. Giving to a church is great. But those things do not remove sin, and they do not bring the forgiveness of our sins against the holy God. There's only one way. It's by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that means you ask him for forgiveness of all of your sins, and you invite him into your life to be your Lord or the boss of your life, and ask him to save you. If you've never done that, I'd love to talk with you after the service and help you. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm not sure if I've done that. Maybe. I'm not sure. I'd love to help you nail that down today. I'll be right here at the front after the service, and I'd love to speak with you and, and help you. Others of us, maybe we've already done that. Maybe you've received Christ and, and you're saved. However, maybe, maybe you're drifting a little bit. Maybe we're beginning to look a little like the world around us that does not follow Jesus. Maybe you're not delighting in his word like you should. Maybe you're not putting your roots, your roots deep down into the stream of nourishment that, that God has for us. What is, what is God calling you to do today? If you'd like some prayer and some encouragement, again, I'll be here at the front. I'd love to visit with you after the service. I love the story of Harry Ironside, uh, the Bible teacher who told of a, vi a visit to Palestine years ago by a man named Joseph Flax. Mr. Flax had an opportunity to address a gathering of Jewish and Arab people. And for that gathering, he chose to speak on this passage, Psalm 1. So he read it aloud and then he asked the question, who is this blessed man of whom the psalmist speaks. The man who never walked in the counsel of the wicked or stood in the way of sinners or sat in the seat of mockers. He was an absolutely sinless man. Who was that man? And no one spoke. The room was silent. So, Flax said, was he our great father Abraham? No, someone said, it cannot be Abraham. He denied his wife and he told a lie about her. And then Flax said, well, how about the lawgiver Moses? No, someone said, it cannot be Moses, because he killed a man and he lost his temper by the waters of Meribah. So Flax suggested David. It wasn't David. And then there was a silence for what seemed like a long while. And then finally, an elderly Jewish man stood up in the back of the room and said this, my brothers, I have a little book here 
It's called the New Testament. And I've been reading it. And if I could believe this book, I could be sure, if I could be sure that it was true, I would say that the man of the first psalm was Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is that man. He is the only perfect person who has ever lived. And I praise God, he is the sinner's savior. He is the one who stands at the doorway for us to receive us, to show us how to live, and to help us do it. What is he calling you to do? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time we've had today to worship you, to read your word, and to try to understand it. Father, I pray your spirit would move in our hearts, show us how to respond to this, what you're calling us to do. Lord, I pray that you would give us a deep love for your word and for your presence in our lives. Show us how to follow you more faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.